Amen. Good morning. I am, uh, my name is Eric, and I am one of the elders here at Oak Hill Bible Church. And so I know we have a lot of visitors here, first-time visitors, and visitors I haven't seen for a while, so it's good to see familiar faces. Um, but thank you so much for joining us for Riley's dedication and also just joining us to worship God. That's what Sundays are all about, not to come to see what we can get out of it, but what we can give in terms of worshiping our Lord and Savior. Amen? Well, this morning, I am humbled to give, be given the opportunity to beginning our preaching series entitled, By Design. Um, I just think that's an awesome uh, splash screen that Grant made for our series. Um, but over the next five weeks, we will look at the lives of specific Old Testament people, um, people such as Hannah, uh, the Proverbs 31 woman, Boaz, Jehoiada, and on Father's Day, one surprise saint that you won't want to miss. So you guys have to come every Sunday for the next five weeks. All right? Um, each of these real-life characters prove instructive for us to reveal some of God's plan for manhood and womanhood. And that's going to be the theme here. So have that in the back of your mind, manhood and womanhood, sometimes positively and sometimes negatively from these characters that we're going to see in Scripture. And so as we dive into the series, one, pray for yourselves, two, pray for others, and three, pray that God would show us errors in our own thinking. We are influenced by this world the world does not want to acknowledge God. The world wants to tell you, live the life the way you want to live it. So pray that God would strengthen the foundation of our worldview as believers that really is built on God's word. What you hear over the next five weeks will be countercultural. It will be against the grain of what the world teaches on social media, on news, in classrooms. It will be thought-provoking. Pray that he would give us all hearts and minds that are going to be soft to the Spirit's teaching in our lives so we can be built up and convicted. As God's creation, listen carefully, as God's creation, men and women are all created equally in the image of God, equally in the image of God, possessing equal dignity and worth, yet called to different roles to glorify God. This view is essential for obedience to Scripture and for the health of the family and of the church. Look at our society today. There's widespread confusion on the view regarding male and female gender. Look at our society today. There's questions on masculinity and femininity. There's attacks on God's design of biblical marriage. And we're part of this world. And we even see the increase in physical and emotional abuse in the family. This is the world we live in. So where do we find instructions to live well 
Live lives that will glorify God. Live lives to be able to proclaim a Savior for each and every one of us that we all need. It is our desire as elders for you to learn about God's design for biblical manhood and womanhood and how it can and should be lived out in today's culture. This morning, we will look at Hannah as a portrait of biblical womanhood. Therefore, open or turn your Bibles on to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Come on, I know what society we're living in. So, um, I have the privilege to, to teach on Hannah because I'm married, I have a daughter, I have three older sisters, and I'm the youngest and only boy. I have three sister-in-laws. I'm just kidding. I have no authority whatsoever to speak on this topic. All of this will come from God's word. So join me as we go through 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. And here we will observe various characteristics and principles of biblical womanhood in the life of Hannah for you ladies in specific, specifically to consider and to live out. It's our desire that you just not look at this character, this particular woman, but see how she lived in obedience to God and his word. It's a story thousands of years ago, but God, his word is infinite, has truths and principles that are even beneficial for us today. So if you look at this book, it begins verses 1 and 2 with a certain man named Elkanah, who had two wives, and you see that in verses 1 and 2, Hannah and Peninnah. Hannah was his first wife, who was barren and had no children. And interestingly enough, in those days, it was thought to be vitally important in the Hebrew culture to have children who would maintain the family inheritance, and the family name, right? I think some of us in our cultures see that important today. Family, family name, heritage, lineage, inheritance. And so that was important to them. And Elkanah had his second wife because of this fact, because of the fact that Hannah was barren he took himself a second wife, Peninnah, who he had children with. Now consider the cultural context then. Consider the cultural context now. Monogamy then was not right in God's eyes. It was a union, it was a covenant between one man and one woman. There was a low moral condition indicating the lawless and rebellious, rebellious rebellion of the people back then. God was present. God had done many miracles and has gotten them out of many circumstances that were, were not good. But these people rebelled against God. Now, if you follow the chronological relationship of the Old Testament books, for you survey gurus out there, 1 Samuel follows Judges. And if you look at Judges chapter, one, chapter 21, verse 25, 
It reads, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. And here, the historical narrative of God's redemptive plan goes into 1 Samuel chapter 1. So ladies and gentlemen, consider this. No matter the sin of society or the difficulty of your experience, a faithful life of biblical manhood and womanhood understands that God is in control and judges the whole world. Amen? Understand that. That is the foundation of Scripture, is the God who has created and is ruling over everything is in total control of human events, even today. So that will be our underlying foundation. Now, you thought being barren was Hannah's only concern. Look at the grief of the other wife, Penina, caused in verse 6 and 7. It says, her rival, however, would unjustly provoke her bitterly to irritate her. Penina aggravated Hannah to the point of humiliation and tears and to the point of the desire not to eat. Hannah would erupt in tears. It literally means like sounds of thunder every time Penina would irritate her. And not one time, but notice in verse 7, it happened year after year, and as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. How sobering is that? When did this happen? For years. And every time Hannah went to worship the Lord. I can't even imagine the suffering Hannah experienced. And after reading, just the plain reading of this passage, understanding what Hannah was going through, I was annoyed. I was irritated. Year in and year out, this other human being, during the time when you should be worshiping God, was tormenting another. I appreciate how Scripture records the reality of humanity. It doesn't sugarcoat it. Because it tells us this is the truth, this is the things that will happen to us day to day, is it not? This is not fantasy or a fictional story. This is a real woman going through real Difficulties. Ladies, all in favor and honesty? Have you ever had or currently have a penina in your life? We live in a fallen world. And this penina, it could be a family member, it could be a friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker. But look with me at, verses eight, at verse 8. And a quick lesson for husbands. 
an example on biblical manhood on what not to do. Hannah's husband tries to comfort her by saying, am I not better to you than ten sons? He's basically saying, I'm God's gift to you. You don't need children. How foolish. Elkanah is either unable or one unwilling to control the situation. All hinges on Hannah's response in verse 9. And this brings us to our characteristics and principles of biblical womanhood. Hannah's not only the wife of Elkanah, but she is a woman of grace. The, the name Hannah means grace. Grace that she needed then and grace that we all need today. First and second Samuel revolves around three characters. You go through the survey of the book and automatically you think about Samuel, the last judge, the first prophet since Moses, and then you think of Saul, and then you think of David. But Scripture did not insert Hannah just for no reason. There's even a lesson for Hannah being in the Scriptures. We must not overlook how God uses her for his glory and for your good. So how does Hannah respond to all her difficulties? Read verse 9 with me. The word of God says, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. The verb rose not only expresses physical motion of getting up, but also decisive resolve. She had finally made a decision. She said, I have to do something. She made a decision which brings us to God's design for biblical womanhood and how it can and should be lived out today. This first point here is that Hannah is a woman of faithful prayer. Hannah is a woman of faithful prayer. Verse 10 tells us that she prayed. In the midst of her distress and bitterness, she prayed. And in verse 12, she prayed continually. She prayed to God. She finally had turned in humility to God. Now, you can argue that her motives may have been mixed. It could have been selfish. But her request was in line with the overarching will of God. I mean, prayer alone, we could just do a series on. Do we pray for what we want? Or do we pray for God's will? How do we do that? Yet Hannah's prayer and desire for a son was congruent with God's will. Or you could look at the passage here. Or you may say she had pure motives. Maybe she understood womanhood, motherhood, is a high calling which God can grant to any woman. It is a blessing, 
But let me caveat that by saying that this should not suggest that motherhood is the only role for women. God is sovereign. God may or may not grant you a child. And that is perfectly okay. Because God is good and he knows better than us. So consider his sovereignty even in this situation. Ladies, God's design for you is to be a woman of prayer. In whatever circumstance God places you, your first response should be to turn to the Lord in prayer and pour out your soul as Hannah did. Turn to God first. It was only after many years before she humbled herself. Did you notice? Year after year, Peninnah was tormenting her. Year after year, she would cry and weep and not eat. And here we see in the passage, she finally humbled herself before the Lord and sincerely prayed to him. What a beautiful example. In a sense, her husband failed Hannah by not pointing her to God. Husbands, you cannot fix everything. The first thing we should do is if our wife is going through a struggle, a sister is going into, has experiencing a struggle, point them to God. Man will fail you. Husbands will fail you. Friends will fail you. Family will fail you. There's times they will not give you a listening ear, but God will. God will be there for you, and he is in control of the whole situation. Verse 17 and 18 tells us of her confidence that she knew her prayer, her appeal was heard. You, change, you see a change in her countenance. Her face is no longer sad. She starts eating. And take notes, she cast her troubles to the Lord and left it in his hands. That's what was the turning point. Now, did her situation change? No. But did her heart change? Yes. Why? Because she turned to God for peace, for comfort. The point is, ladies, do not delay in praying to God first. Do not delay in praying to him continually. Pray to the Lord to save your prodigal son. Pray to the Lord to to save your unbelieving spouse. Pray to the Lord to whatever circumstance or challenge you are experiencing right now to find comfort in God, to know that he is wiser and he is good. Hannah is an example of biblical womanhood as a woman of faithful prayer. But notice in verse 11, It describes Hannah as a woman of promise. Hannah was a woman of faithful promise. She makes a vow to the Lord asking for a son. It almost sounds selfish, but it isn't until you see how this story plays out. She makes a Nazarite vow on behalf of her unborn son, Samuel. Now notice, 
It reads, if you give your maidservant a son, a seed of men, literally, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. This Nazarite vow is found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And it reads, when a man or woman vows a difficult vow. This isn't just like no rinky-dink vow. This is a serious vow. When a man or woman makes a difficult vow, the vow of a Nazarite to dedicate himself to the Lord. Understand what Hannah is requesting. She is not making a vow to satisfy herself. In a sense, she wants a son. But she wants a son to be born and to immediately be turned around to be used by God. This doesn't sound selfish to me, but selfless. It is a pledge to want a child to live a life set apart for God and to live a life of holiness and obedience to him. Which parent here would not want that for your child? We all do. But we know God is sovereign. We know he's in control of everything. What a beautiful picture of this commitment with baby Riley several minutes ago. A vow, a dedication to take a newborn babe several months old. This is what Daniel and Carol wanted for her. And the point here is that Hannah committed herself and her children to the Lord. Ladies, this should be your desire as well. When you desire to be married and have a child, is your intention to turn around and commit the child to the Lord? I mean, I got to go ask my wife this later on. Is that our understanding? I want children so they will worship God and serve God. Yes, we see the pictures on Instagram and Facebook, and they look cute and cuddly. But those children coming out of the womb are unbelievers. Hannah is a representation of biblical womanhood as a woman of faithful promise to God and committed to consecrating her son to the Lord. But next, Hannah was also a woman of faithful parenting, verses 19 to 28. From verses 19 to 20, Scripture records Hannah being a faithful worshiper even through all of her challenges. You notice from the beginning that the whole family would go and worship God every year, and she'd get tormented every year. But did she stop worshiping? No. She continued to worship God. And our tendency is if we go through troubles and trials and problems, what do we want to do? You just want to pull the sheets over our head, and you don't want to get out of bed. But yes, she continued to worship God. 
But verses 22 to 28 now focuses on Hannah as a woman of faithful parenting. Instead of joining her husband, Hannah and Samuel stayed behind. Samuel was not yet weaned and was therefore totally dependent on his mother. Elkanah saw the wisdom in this and agreed that Hannah and Samuel should remain at home. Again, I know this is a lesson on biblical womanhood. But husbands, self-included, remember that your wives can be your wisest of counselors. We get their input, but we have to make that final hard decision. And in both perspectives, whether it's the wife or the husband, it is both difficult, but we must understand God is sovereign and we must seek his will in every decision we make. As a woman of prayer and promise, Hannah committed herself sacrificially as a parent to the raising of Samuel. Verses 22 to 24 says she weaned and nursed Samuel. As a nursing mother, tenderly caring for her own son, Hannah nurtured Samuel. Samuel. And get this, not only physically, not feeding, not changing, putting new clothes and diapers, but spiritually, by preparing him to be consecrated to the Lord for service. It was in Hannah's mind, Deuteronomy 6, 4-7, as Grant read earlier. It teaches parents to teach children that the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up. When do you teach your children about God and his word? All the time. A simple dinner conversation Maybe you're going over homework and you're like, why are they teaching about evolution? No, God created. Every instance is where you are teaching and preparing. Being a parent, specifically a mother, is a joy, but it is difficult. And it is thankless. Ladies, I can get an amen on that. It's hard. You will or you will be sacrificing as a mother. But be in prayer and seek wisdom that you sacrifice for the things that matter. Your faithful parenting may involve sacrificing a career goal, a hobby, conveniences, comforts. But if we continue in the passage, we see here, after three to four years of weaning and nurturing, she gives Samuel over to be dedicated to the Lord for service. Notice in verses 27 and 28, and it reads, For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. 
So I have also dedicated him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Because of proper parenting, because of instructing and teaching Samuel about God and his word, she prepared him. But ladies, good behavior is not the goal. Good behavior is not the goal, but godliness. Not good grades, not winning teams, not a successful vocation, but a child who knows God, the God of the Bible, and the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Hannah is a model of biblical womanhood as a woman of faithful parenting. Nurturing and teaching your child takes time. It has to be genuine, and it has to be aimed at the heart, just like Grant said. You can't just teach external behavior so they're good in public or when they're at school or when they're at family get-togethers, they're behaved. No. There has to be an inward change. There has to be a targeted heart issue, which is their own sinful hearts. We're here this morning because God is to be worshipped and praised. God is holy God is creator. He is perfect. Yet man is sinful, is rebellious to God. And you could say, well, I don't do drugs. I don't smoke pot. I don't steal. I don't do any of that. Rebellion to God is not just that. Rebellion to God is not recognizing him as the creator of this whole world. Rebellion to God is saying, I'm going to not listen to what scripture says. I'm going to live life my way. That's the chasm between holy God and sinful man. And we can't fix that. It's a payment that you and I cannot fix. But God, in his love, in his infinite mercy and grace, sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin. Your sin, our sin. There's no way we could ever repay that debt. But God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And it's recorded in scripture. It's proven. He died, and on the third day he rose again, and he is risen. He has defeated sin and death, Jesus Christ. And what do we have to do to reconcile with God? It almost sounds so simple is that you place your trust and faith in this God-man. What we pursue today is temporal. Yes, you might have a good job, a nice house, all the money in your bank account, and you're like, yeah, I'm comfortable. But in the end, there there is a consequence. Where do you spend eternity? In heaven with God for the rest of your life or away from God in torment and punishment. And if you thought Hannah's torment and punishment from Peninnah was bad, think about being separated from God. Romans 1 says that we know God exists. 
but you suppress the truth, man. You could live with blindfolders, blindfold on every day and say God doesn't exist, but he has planted that in your heart. All you have to do is turn away from pursuing worldliness and turn to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you will have eternal life. And you will have hope. And you will have trust. And that's where Hannah has hers in this God. So, as we look at this, you and I are imperfect and always in need of God's grace, just like Hannah. But ladies, being a faithful parent and mother is all you're asked to be. Faithful. Teaching them of God and his word. But know this, it is God is the one who is sovereign over your child's heart. Be faithful to continue to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel to your children, to your family members, to those that, know, that don't know God. We know God is good, and whatever decision he makes, it's for, his good, for our good and his glory. And lastly, God's design for biblical womanhood is seen in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Hannah is characterized as a woman of faithful praise. I ask myself this question, why does Hannah's story end with a song of praise? Honestly, when, you, when you're preparing for a sermon, you have to ask those questions. Why did the writer write this? Why is this here? Why is that there? What, what, are, what are all these things? I believe she discloses her joy and trust in her sovereign God who controls and judges the whole world. It is written in scriptures because that was her experience. She trusted in this God who was sovereign and controls the whole world. Written in the pages of scripture for you and I. This is a message for us today. And there's no time to go through this, this, this song of praise. But in verses 1 to 3, God is the object of Hannah's praise, not her son Samuel. Understand this, right? When we have a child, we praise when we're happy. But her praise is not Samuel. God is the object of her praise, and sometimes as mothers, even fathers, we can um, make children our idols. Don't do that. I want a child, I want a child, I want a child, I have a child, I have a child. Everything revolves around the child. No, everything revolves and should revolve around God. In verse 2, she says that he is her rock protection and refuge, even in the most difficult of circumstances. He brings down the proud, and he raises up the humble and the obedient. This is her God. This is our God. Verses 6 to 8, as creator, he has the right to intervene in human history and social order. Verses 9 and 10, God is the righteous judge over all the earth. God's design for biblical womanhood and how it can and should be lived out in today's culture, listen, can only be effective by knowing, revering, trusting, and worshiping the one true God. 
Ladies, the only way you can accomplish these principles, these characteristics, is to know the God you worship, the one who controls everything in all of your circumstances, not just relational, but physical, challenges physically with your health, financially with money that you do or you don't have, and relationships that are broken because of sin. God is sovereign. These characteristics of being a faithful prayer, faithful promise, faithful parent, faithful praise. Ladies, this has characterized you. These are blessings from God in his word to help us live and maneuver in the world we live in. We need to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to continue to proclaim the goodness of God and the reconciliation to him through his son, Jesus Christ, because of sin. I pray that scripture encourages you today, ladies, to be a woman of faithful prayer, promise, parenting, and praise. Grant opened with Psalm 145, 3 to 4. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This is our God. Let us pray. Father God, you are so good. You are gracious. You are merciful, and we've seen that in Scripture. We've seen this in the story of Hannah today. And I pray that we would just not leave here thinking that was a nice fictional story, but truths found in accounts that really happened in history. But encouraged to know that it was not just reserved to Hannah, but for anybody who needs your grace. Parents, mothers, and women, I pray this would be a series that would encourage us to live a life that would glorify you in all that we do. We thank you for Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen.